You're listening to the weekly podcast of Citizens Church with Pastor Chris Norman. For more information on the work that God is doing through Citizens Church, please visit us online at citizenschurch.org. Hey everybody, between now and Easter, we are starting, uh, we're going to move through a brand new series that, can you believe Easter is right on the corner, that we've entitled Search Party, Search Party, Search Party. I'm going to read a verse to you, we're going to pray, and then I want you to lean in. And uh, if I could bring that up real quick, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. John 8, 1 through 6 says this. It says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst of them, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, the law Moses commanded, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. God, as we get into your word today, as we get into the start of this series, we pray that, God, you would open our hearts up wide to what it is, Jesus, you desire to speak to us. And God, I pray that our church and, God, us as individuals, we would forever be changed by what we're going to learn together in this series. God, I pray you would anoint me and, and Pastor Trey ne- as we, next week as he preaches, God, just to bring, Lord, to our church, that bring to, God, us as a people your heart. And God, we ask that you would mark us with this and you change us with this. You speak to us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone agreed together and said a good hearty. Come on, amen and amen. So what I want to do between now and Easter is spend some time just reminding us what Jesus intends for this to all be about. This meaning church. What does Jesus intend for the church to be about? Like, what's his heart? What's his, his vision? And I think sometimes we forget. That's why we're doing this series. I think sometimes we forget and we can get sidetracked and we can make all our energy about things that Jesus never intended for us to be spending all of our energy on. And so we need to ask ourselves, Jesus, what is this supposed to be all about? And, and, and in the midst of sometimes the lack of clarity, I just want to say, listen, there is no excuse for lack of clarity. There's no excuse because Jesus made it very, very clear what he intends for the church to be about, what he intends for us to be doing. He, he made it overtly clear. And friends, here's what Jesus intends for this to all be about. Jesus intends for this to be a search party. Jesus intends for us to be out searching in the way that he was searching. This is the commandment that I gave. I want you to think about it, right? Jesus came to this world in search of lost people. He bled and died a brutal and bloody death on the cross because he was seeking to reach lost people. He rose again, sent his spirit to to fulfill and to empower the church to go reach lost people. When he ascended to heaven, he gave his last words to his disciples that would be spoken on, on this side of heaven. And you got to lean in when someone's giving you their last words, right? And Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to go on a search party. I want you to go find some lost kids and bring them home. This is all supposed to be a big search party. What did Jesus come to do? To inaugurate a search party. I always, if you've, if you've gone to any rendition of the different life tracks that we've done at our church, it's, uh, I think we're on version 7.0 right now and so what I love about us was making things better. But in that, I always tell the story about how Tatum and I lost one of our kids for a moment. You guys ever have that moment? Right? And, and without going into the story, because I don't got a lot of time, but, but when you lose a child, it's all you focus on is finding that child, right? Nothing else in the world matters. And I want you to understand that the heart of God today is that same way, is that there are some lost kids in the world and to God, nothing else in the world matters. Scripture says that Jesus would, he teaching, he said, I'd leave the 99 to go find the one. The 99, like, what about us? Jesus is like, well, you come with me. We're gonna go find the one. It's his heart. It's his focus. It's his, his, his vision. Come on, it's his vision. Do you understand that the, 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 the church is not owned by the pastors of America? Do you understand that the church belongs to Jesus? Amen? Like, like Jesus says, that's my church. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's, it's my church, Jesus said, right? And if we agree that the church is Jesus's church, then shouldn't the church do what Jesus wants the church to do? Let me say it to you this way, friends. We don't get to, as a church, come up with our own vision. It's not like when we started the church, Tate and I sat down in a, in a focus group and went, okay, let's start a church. What do you want to do, right? We don't get to do that. We go, we're going to go, we're going to go join in on something that God wants to do. Why? Because the church is God's. God, what is it that you want to do? We just want to sign up for what you said we should do. And so Jesus, we want to live out your vision for your church. Friends, the church does not need a vision. Jesus already has a vision. His vision needs a church. Amen? Does that make sense? And so as a church, what do we focus on? We go, okay, well, Jesus, what do you want us to focus on? And so you start this conversation about what Jesus wants us to focus on by looking at what he focused on. Is everyone following this? Okay, so what did Jesus focus on? Luke chapter 19, verse 10, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Pretty clear? Jesus, why are you here? What are you doing? What's this all about? Jesus said, here's my vision. I'm here to seek and to save the lost. You see, Jesus would say, there's some lost people in the world. You see it over here, the world? I want you to see this when we talk about it. This is the world. Put it right here. Jesus says, there's some lost people in that world. I have come to seek and to save the lost, the broken, the hurting. Why? Because I care deeply about people who are lost and looking for home, people trapped in pain, people trapped in hopelessness, people suffering. I'm here for their sake. I'm going to save them and deliver them, give them hope. I'm going to bring them home. Amen? Jesus said, that's why I'm here. He was very clear about his mission. I, I want you to think about the, the most most famous Bible verse in all of our Bible, right? What is it? John 3, 16, right? You see it everywhere. You're watching a football game, the skin of the audience, there's always that crazy guy who's got John 3, 16 painted on his body. He should put his shirt back on, but my goodness, somebody might read that, right? A football player blinks since John 3, 16. Someone's like, I'm gonna look that up. 
And here's what it says. For God so loved the world. World. That world. It literally means, for God so loved the God-rejecting sea of humanity. God so loved the broken. God so loved the hurting. God so loved the lost. God so loved the fringe. God so loved the outcast. God so loved those who the, who the church sometimes and looks, at, looks at and says, there's no way God can love those. God says, those are the very ones I came to reach. God so loved the world that what? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know, that verse was originally spoken to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a, a scribe, was a Pharisee. He knew, he knew what it, if you're a scribe and Pharisee, I mean, you spent your whole life studying what it would take to get, it, get into heaven, to be justified. To, and so he would be one of the guys you would ask. But he knew even in all of his study, that there was something missing. And so he comes to this Jesus that everybody's been talking about, that, that he's heard about, and he's asking Jesus, he's saying, Jesus, what does it take? Like, how, how, how can someone enter the kingdom of God? And he comes to Jesus at night because he's, he's not wanting to seem like he doesn't know the answer to this, right? So he's kind of, Nick at night, everybody. Some of you are like, so he comes to, he comes to Jesus at night and and and. What Jesus said to him when he asked, what does it take to make it? It must have absolutely just dumbfounded Nicodemus. Because here's somebody who has been taught his whole life that what it takes is, is memorizing the whole Torah, what it takes is living perfectly. What it, what it, what it takes is, is all, these, these, all these rules, all these, all these regulations. What it takes is, is you gotta get it all figured out and you better keep it together and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, and, and the kingdom of God is for those who just got it together. And then he shows up to Jesus, goes, Jesus, what does it take? And Jesus goes, hey, listen, I still love the world. I gave my only begotten son that whosoever would believe in me, would not perish. And that word whosoever must have echoed through Nicodemus's heart, through his mind, whosoever, whosoever, how could it possibly be whosoever? I wasn't taught whosoever. I was taught only the religious. I was taught only the perfect. I was taught only... But Jesus is challenging and completely turning upside down all the religious thinking of that day when it came to who the kingdom of God was for. Whosoever in that God-rejecting sea of humanity. God so loved the world, the world, the world. And then Jesus giving his great commission to the church in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says to them this, he says, go into all the world. Go into all the world. That world? That God rejecting sea of humanity? That lost, that broken, that hurting, that doing things that we don't approve of world? Yep, get up from where you are. Where were they? All huddled together. Get up from where you are and go out to where you need to be. And where you need to be is in that world. Go into all the world and proclaim to them the gospel. Proclaim the gospel to all creation. 
What's the gospel? It's the good news to this broken world that, listen, God is for you. God loves you. There's hope for you. There's future for you. There's forgiveness for you. Heaven does not look down and shun you. Heaven looks down and invites you in. You see, there is hope for this God-rejecting sea of humanity. And everything you deserve for your sin has been absorbed in Jesus. It's why he came. Go to that world and proclaim the gospel. And in the life of Jesus, we, we, we see this over and over and over again. That Jesus was constantly going to that world. Someone say that world. Constantly going to that world. He showed up in that world. He was present in that world, right? So much so that people, you, you know a lot about Jesus when you look at the nicknames people gave him. And they said, to, they said about Jesus that he was a friend of sinners. Why, why'd they say he was a friend of sinners? Because he was a friend of sinners. He was hanging out with sinners all the time. And so they're like, you're a friend of sinners. And he's like, yep. That's the whole point. Jesus was constantly in that world. He, he hung out with that world. And, and I think the great tragedy, and here's why we're addressing it, the great tragedy in the church sometimes is that we've unfortunately given Jesus a different reputation than the one he built for himself in his life. Like the same Jesus who told us to go into all the world has now in the, in the minds of so many confined himself to the church world. Here's the church world. Do you see it? There's the world and then there's our world, our church world. And the, the Jesus who said that he was for this world, hung out in this world, went to this world, is now seen by so many as, as Jesus who just kind of hangs out over there in that world a bunch of churchy people doing churchy things, talking about churchy stuff that I don't understand and I don't get. And, and there's just kind of this, this churchy, churchy world. He just likes to hang out with those people, some, something. But the truth is that Jesus came to the whole world, amen? And God so loves the world that he's constantly calling this world to go into the whole world. Did you follow me? God so loves the whole world that he says to this world, your job is to go into all the world and let them know the gospel. There's hope for you. There's grace for you. Forgiveness, freedom, healing. And I think John 8 helps the church world understand the heart of Jesus in reaching that world, okay? It, it helps this world understand what Jesus wants us to do in, in the whole world. And I think it helps if you're in the world, understand the heart of Jesus toward your world, okay? So what is happening in John 8 that we just read? Well, the scribes and the Pharisees of that day are trying to trap Jesus. They don't super love Jesus. He's a, he's a rebel. He's causing all sorts of trouble. He, he, he's not doing things their way. Come on, he's not doing things their way. Don't like it when someone's not doing things my way. And so they're trying to discredit Jesus. And they come up with this idea. They're like, you know what? Jesus really loves these sinners. Jesus loves all these people in this world, all these broken and hurting. Let's trap him in his care for people. Let's trap him in his love for people in this world. 
And so what they do is they, they catch a woman. Now, hold on, think about this. It says they caught a woman in the act of adultery. And they bring this woman before Jesus. Now, I, I, I need you to understand this. Like in that day, in order to lay accusation against somebody, there has to be at a minimum two, usually three witnesses. Okay, so I'm not even gonna begin to like think about how that worked out. Like how did two or three of you guys catch this girl in the act of adultery? Tell me that. No one's gonna talk about that, but I'm thinking, my goodness, right? And they catch this woman in the very act, they say, of adultery. And now they parade her in front of her whole community. Everyone who knows her, everyone, oh, isn't that so-and-so? And she's being paraded in front of her whole community, half-clothed, if at all, brought before Jesus, thrown at his feet. And there's their question, right? Jesus, what do you want us to do with this one? And it's a trap to try to set. Because they say Old Testament losses were to stone her, were to throw rocks at her until she's dead. That's, that's Old Testament law. And so Jesus, that's what Old Testament law says. What, what do you say? Now, here's the trap. If Jesus says, uh, don't throw any rocks, okay, well, then he's not being faithful to Old Testament law. And ha-ha, they got him, okay? They discredit him as a teacher. But if he says, yeah, go on ahead, okay, a couple things. One is he is at... There's Roman soldiers all around, and Jesus is going up against what uh, the Romans took away from the Jews, which is capital punishment. So Jesus pronounced a capital punishment on, on somebody when he, according to the Roman law, doesn't have the right to do so, one. But two, he's also being, in that moment, inconsistent with this grace and this love and this friend of sinners, uh, heartbeat and, and, and flow that Jesus had with people. And so they think, aha, we've got him trapped. And I actually believe it's that second part of their trap that they're really pushing into. Like, it's almost like this. Like, Jesus, you want to be a friend of sinners? You want to be a friend of broken people? You want to be a friend of hurting people? Well, what are you going to do with this one? Caught in the very act. (laughs) Right? This one. I want you to think about it for a second. This one. Those ones. You got any of those ones in your life? See, it's a trap, but it's also a good question. What do we do with those ones? She's caught in the act of sin. She's caught in the act of adultery. What do we do with with those ones? Jesus, what do we do with this group? What, What do we do about that group? I mean, they're obviously, clearly, blatantly outside the plan that you have for their life. They, they, they have a total disregard for your word. They have a total disregard for what is right and what is wrong. Jesus, what do we do with those who are living their lives in a way that is in complete rebellion against you? What do we do with those ones? What do we do with these ones? What do we do with those who have a different lifestyle? with different view of sexuality than I have. In my world at work, in my world at 
at school and in my world standing behind me at Trader Joe's in line at, at Starbucks. I mean, these people of the, of the world that are all around us that are just, just so outside, God, of what you intend. What are we supposed to do with these ones? God, what do I do with the people who've hurt me and wronged me and betrayed me? God, how do I handle it? And maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes you feel like your job is to pick up some rocks and you're gonna let them have it. You're gonna, you're gonna put them in their place. And maybe it's not literal physical rocks, but it's a look. Just like... I want them to feel my, my disregard and my disgust. I'm just gonna, not a physical rock, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this at you. It's a, it's a comment that I make online, in person, whisper it as I go by them. I can't believe this. Maybe you feel like that's, that's the job of the church. We just go around policing everybody. We just go around making sure that they feel, they feel from us the rocks, right? The, the, we're against that. God's not for that. How dare you do that, believe that? And maybe you feel just like these guys. What do we do with these, Jesus? Do we let them have it or not? And at that, Jesus, I love this. They're pressuring him. And I, I imagine at this moment, like there's a whole, whole crowd has followed. Like what in the world's going on? They're, they're dragging this girl down through the street. And isn't that, isn't that so-and-so? And, 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 and now all of a sudden word's spreading that this whole thing's going on. Maybe word's even gotten back to her husband. Maybe word's gotten back to her. It could have been her, uh, the one that she was betrothed to. And now he shows up in the midst. And you got to picture this, right? The, the whole crowd comes and everyone's pressing, Jesus, what do we do? What do we do? And all the pressure's on him. And Jesus just, he just stoops down. He's like, and he starts doodling in the ground. And I love that about Jesus, right? Because here's this pressure, respond, do something. And Jesus goes, you are not in control of this situation. I am. Um, he, he takes control of the whole situation. He just starts doodling in the ground. And we don't know what Jesus was writing in the ground. He never tells us. It leaves, us, leaves that to our imagination. And so we will use our imagination. Um, the Jews had something called a, when they would get into debates, they would use what was called a ramaz. Ramaz. And what that means is that you would say a part and they'd understand the whole. You see, the people that Jesus was talking to were scribes and Pharisees. Scribes and Pharisees had the entire Old Testament, entire Old Testament memorized. I think that we don't use our brains enough, everybody, right? The entire Old Testament memorized. So Jesus would be able to just to write a little hint and they would understand the whole. Uh, examples would be, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Some of you know, I shall not want, right? Like, and you could, you could start going down that whole, whole passage of scripture. And so Jesus was able to do things like that with them. And he could be giving them little hints, uh, you know, maybe a little, little Jeremiah 17, 13, that Jesus had just right before this stood in front of the, stood in front of the temple and declared uh, uh, during their, 
gosh, there's so much in this. There's this, there's this moment where they would, right before this, they would get water from a stream and they would carry it up and pour it on the altar. And they would do this in, in multiple days. And on the last days, they'd take two pitchers of water and there'd be a moment of silence. They'd pour out the water and that water was meant to represent the fact that God had promised to bring, to bring relief and healing and, and, and a, one day a, a ruler to their land. And that's what it symbolized for them, that water to heal them, water to right, provide for them water. And it was just before this that Jesus stood in front of that temple in that moment where it got quiet and Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Just before this. And so Jesus is now on the ground and everybody's giving him attitude and maybe Jesus wrote, maybe, O Lord, the hope of Israel. And here's what they would have known. O Lord, the hope of Israel. All who have forsaken you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. All he had to write is just a little bit. Maybe it was, maybe it was different scriptures like that. Maybe it, was, maybe, it was, maybe it was their name. Maybe what they did the night before, a little, little hint. Maybe a little, I don't know, you've got to be drawing smiley faces. Practicing his signature. Jesus, you know. We don't know what Jesus wrote, but we do know what he said. He stands back up, and he said to them, let him who is without sin amongst you go ahead and throw the first stone at her. And once more, he bent down on the ground and started to write. Richard, oh, you know. And they all start walking away. It says, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. I always love that. The older guys are like, okay, had enough of this. The young guys, it's the beginning of the old, the young guys are like, what? No, we're good. We're good. They got just that little extra, just not quite wisdom yet, right? The older ones walk away, and Jesus soon was left alone with the women. So here's what's happening. They all start walking away. They all start leaving, as Jesus said, he who's out the sin, let him cast the first stone. Why are they walking away? Here's the point. Because none of them are without their own sin. None of them are without their own issues. Jesus, what do we do with people who got issues? Jesus says, you need to remember that you got issues. Before you go and get all enraged over their issue, stop and just remember, my friends. The religious impulse to throw rocks is so wild. It's just wild. It's a bunch of people who have struggled with sin, maybe struggling with sin, maybe just freed from sin, now turning around and wanting to condemn people, throw rocks at people who are in the same situation that you once were in not that long ago. And by the way, if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of Jesus, would still be in that situation. Like, if, if it wasn't for the mercy and the grace of God, I can't imagine where I would be. And I tell you what, if it wasn't for the people who were willing to go to my world and show me that mercy and show me that love, I would still be one of those kids. What do you do with those kids? What do you do with those? You were one of those kids. You would be one of those kids. 
If it wasn't for the mercy and grace of God and the people of God who shared with you the mercy and grace of God. So how do people who have experienced the mercy and grace of God then turn around and say, oh, we're gonna condemn the very people who, come on, you following me? It just doesn't make any sense. It's so, it's so wild to me. And so what do you do with people like, come on, fill in the blank that we talked about before. Where'd your mind go? What do you do with them? Jesus, what do we do with them? You need to remember that what they need is the same thing you need. They need a savior to save them from their sins just as much as you need a savior to save you from your sins. What they deserve is the exact same thing that you deserve and it's called nothing if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God. And the grace of God that has saved me and rescued me and washed me and changed me It's the same grace of God that they need to wash them and cleanse them and change them. And and what God calls me to do is to extend now what's been extended to me to them. Grace and mercy. See, this is a search party, everybody. And, and And the whole movement of the church is to be fueled the, the whole movement of the church toward the lost is to be fueled by the fact that each of us once were lost. And without Jesus, we still would be lost. So, what do we do with these? Here's my question. What are you doing with these? Like, honestly, like, as you look at your life and the interaction with those that, that God's put around you right now, How's it going? And I'm not saying this to condemn. I'm just trying to get us to the spot, position us in a place where you could see a revival break out. How's it happen when the grace and the mercy of Jesus actually gets presented to the people who need the grace and mercy of Jesus? Like you think about the hippie. The, the, everyone's, has anyone gone to see gone to see the movie yet. Come on, Jesus, right? What was happening is you, you, you don't fully feel it because we're so far removed from it, but it was that generation. I mean, those kids were out running around. They're those kids. They're out running around, acid, having sex with everything and everyone. I mean, that's that. And there's just, there was some people that caught the heart of God and said, you know what? God loves them. Jesus died for them. He cares for them. And you're going to come in. I'm going to let you in with all your stuff. All of it. Man, I talked to a guy that, that said he got saved in, in the hippie movement. He said he was in the church for a year and a half, still dropping LSD and, and out sleeping with everybody. For a year and a half, but he just kept coming to the church. Why? Because there was just, it's the gospel. He felt the gospel. The feeling of the gospel is there is grace for you here, love for you here, mercy for you here, hope for you here. There is, there is, there's a future for you here. Man, you can belong before you believe, and we're just going to love on you until you do believe, right? And so now you ask yourself, well, where, where's that generation today? Man, can I be just so out there to say, maybe it's all our dear friends that are struggling with gender confusion or LGBTQ, this and that, and, and maybe it's, come on, fill in the, the stuff that you just, <gasps> Jesus goes, oh, I came for them. So dear church, 
Be very, 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 very careful how you posture yourself around the people that you are so prone to throw rocks at. Are you okay, church? Jesus says, he who's without sin cast the first stone. And I think some of us relate to these religious folks. And this challenges us us to change our heart toward those who are in the world, who are in the mess. Like Jesus is challenging you. But but I think that there's some of us in here right now that relate more to the woman than, than to the religious people. I mean, can you imagine being this woman? Like you're you're caught in your worst moment, you're paraded in front of everybody in town, you're completely exposed. I don't think it's actually that hard to imagine. Because the truth is all of us are completely exposed before Jesus. Like he sees it all. Hebrews 4.13 says this. It says, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom all are accountable. Listen, Jesus already sees all of it. Every one of us who came in here today, he already sees all of it. He sees what you've done. He sees what you've thought. Oh, Hello. He sees all of it. And what does he do with her caught in the act of adultery, with us who are exposed before him, right? First of all, he chases off all of her accusers. If, the, if Dustin could come up and help me close this. He, he, he chases off all of her accusers by helping them realize that they've got their own issues. And, and then he asks her two questions. Jesus stood up and he says to the woman, he said, woman, where are they? And second, has no one condemned you? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are they? Here's what Jesus is doing in that moment. Jesus in that moment, he's making an issue of the fact that he defended her, that he protected her. And I love that. Jesus is saying, I want you to know that I've befriended you, that in the midst of the very thing you were caught in, that was exposed before every, in the midst of the thing that you're obviously guilty of, I want you to understand that I have come to your rescue and defended you from all of those who are getting ready to throw rocks at you. Dear world, I have come to you not as one to condemn you, but as one to free you. I've, I've come to you as one to, to guard you to have a conversation with you, to love on you. And though it may have seemed as the whole world is against you and and the whole world just doesn't get you and the whole world is opposed to you, I want you to understand that I am for you. In the midst of like, come on, amen, everybody. Jesus just, I just love how raw and real Jesus is. Put yourself in this girl's shoes. Jesus to her in that moment, he's going like, everyone's turned their back on you, but I'm here for you. Maybe church and these religious people got some kind of issue with you, but I'm here to defend you and protect you. I want you to know that I'm for you and I'll walk with you and I'll forgive you and I'll wash you and I'll cleanse you and there's hope for you. Listen, there's hope for you. Come on, there's hope for you. And today, for each and every one of you who feel like the, like the church world doesn't get you, the, the world world doesn't get you, Jesus says, I get you, 
I love you, I'll stand for you, I'll go to bat for you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll I'll never walk out on you, I'll never look at you with anything other than, than love in my eyes. I need you to understand that no matter how the world has labeled you, I label you loved by God Almighty. Where's everyone gone? That's right, girl, I've chased them off and I'm here for you. And then he says this, watch. Does, does anyone condemn you? And here's what Jesus threw that question. Has anyone pronounced a sentence on you? Is, is anyone still doomed you? I know you came into this moment thinking that it was all over for you. I know you came into this moment thinking that there was a death sentence hanging over your head. I, I know you came into this moment thinking you would never be able to get out of, of this moment. Are you leaving my presence as a dead man walking? Is there an execution awaiting you? And here's what she says in John 8, 11. She says, does anyone accuse you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Here's what's happening. Does anyone condemn you? Is, is there anyone who's, who still has accusation of you? She, this is what she says. Jesus said, she says, no, Lord. In other words, Jesus, no, you absorbed it. You, you diverted it. Come on. You stood in place and, and, and all the accusation and all the attack and all the condemnation, you, you shielded me from it. They haven't condemned you, and Jesus says, neither do I. Now, that's so powerful. Because the only one who has the right to condemn her didn't condemn her. He says, I don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. He didn't say, well, you should have known better. He didn't say, I I can't believe that you you messed up like that. How dare you? Right? He didn't say any of that. He says, neither do I condemn you. To the church, as we close, to the church, I want you to lean in and listen to John 3. It says this. We all know John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Keep going. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, to condemn the world, right? But that the world might be saved through him. How does that make sense? What do you mean you don't condemn the world? Isn't that our job? Isn't that our, aren't we supposed to judge the world and condemn the He says, for he who believes in him is not condemned or not judged. But he who does not, watch this, he who does not believe has been condemned already or judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only begotten son of God. Here's the picture, everybody. Why doesn't Jesus call us to condemn? Why doesn't he call us to judge? Jesus says, because the world is already condemned. The world is already judged. A condemned world doesn't need more condemnation, everybody. A a judged world doesn't need more judgment, everybody. A condemned world and a judged world needs forgiveness and healing and mercy and grace. They, They need Jesus. They don't need more condemnation they're condemned already. 
So Jesus says, I did not come to bring more condemnation. I came to free them from the condemnation that's already on them. And that's what he was doing with this woman. She didn't need more condemnation. She needed forgiveness and healing, cleansing. So church, listen. To the church, people don't need your condemnation. They need hope. They need healing. They need saving. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. And so what do we do? We bring them Jesus. Here you are in your condemnation. And here's what Jesus has done for you on the cross. He absorbed it in himself so you could be free. And to those of you who find yourself identifying with this woman, your sin is exposed. It's been exposed. You, 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 you know family knows, your friends know. You need to know this. Jesus knows, he sees it all. And he doesn't show up to condemn you, he shows up to free you, to forgive you, to wash you, to cleanse you. You need to know that Jesus went to the cross and took upon himself what you deserve for your sin and for your issues. He, he absorbed it in himself so that you could be forgiven of your sin and cleansed of your sin and washed of your sin. Whether it's the sin of adultery or the sin of religiosity, Jesus came to forgive us of all of it. Search party. Search party. Search party. I want you showing up at, at work. I want you showing up at Schools are showing up in the environments God puts you in. And just, just learn to have the eyes of Jesus. It's his kindness that leads him to repentance, right? We're not watering down the gospel. We're not, we're not. Betraying the heart of Jesus. We're extending his heart and saying, look, where you at, where you're at is broken and hurting and lost and separated from God. But where he wants to bring you is into healing. The way that happens is by you just doing what Jesus did with the people that he puts in your life. Don't throw rocks. Defend and love and care and lead them forward. In Jesus' name. Amen, church. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Citizens Church. It's our prayer that through this message, God would impact and inspire your life. If you have any questions for us or would like to let us know how God is using these messages in your life, please let us know by sending an email to connect at citizenschurch.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online and help in seeing more lives changed through the work here at Citizens Church. Thank you so much for joining us. 